We've been walking through a, uh, a glance at God through the eyes of some Old Testament characters, and um, we're going to continue that today, and we're going to look at the story of Gideon. And the story of Gideon is a really incredible story of faith right in the middle of Judges. However, it's, it's more than a, just a story of faith. It's a story of man who submitted to God's plan, regardless of how much it went against his own ideas, and really a story about how God was um, showing him so much love and grace and patience throughout that process. When uh, most people think about uh, Gideon, they probably think about the Bibles that are left in the drawers of hotel rooms. Is that anybody's first thought? Yeah. Well, uh, if you went to Bible school, maybe you also think about um, Gideon in the 300. Um, that's, that's the title of the, the Bible story a lot of times. And um, it, it is a very familiar story in our culture as well. So there is a, uh, a movie called 300 which is kind of ironic that it's a similar amount of army. I don't know if it's coincidence or not, but um, Gideon's story is quite a bit different because he doesn't just take on an incredible army uh, in his own strength, but he's actually a man who, who was afraid. And God works through him and the Israelite army to take on a massive army. And not only do they stand up, against the injustice and the oppression of these people, but they see victory through God's strength. I, like, uh, I really like the summary of uh, Gideon, that the Gideon Bible group, the guys that we were talking about a little bit earlier, um, sum up in the first part of their mission statement. They said, Gideon was a man who was willing to do exactly what God wanted him to do, regardless of his own judgment, as to the plans or results. Humility, faith, and obedience were his greatest elements of character. So let's set the stage. Um, I have a, a picture here of Gideon. And th- this is uh, how we see Gideon. Oh, I'm sorry, I got ahead of myself. So this is the, the book of Judges. So the book of Judges, we uh, find it takes place right after the book of Joshua. And Joshua has helped lead the Israelites out of uh, the desert into the promised land. They defeat the Canaanites, and he leaves the Israelites in the promised land uh, to follow God's law. And it's a seemingly easy task, but they, they fail time and time again. In the promised land, the Canaanites surround them, and unfortunately, the Canaanite culture begins to affect them more than God's law. And this is the progression that we see in Judges. We find the Israelites living in sin and living against God's plan, God's good plan for their lives. And this causes the Canaanite people to be oppressed by the surrounding people. And the people repent because of that oppression and they call out to God and God raises someone up. And in the book of Judges, it's, it's these judges or these, these tribal type leaders um, that he raises up and delivers them from the Canaanite people. And through that, they find peace and what they were looking for, but they soon look to their culture, they look to the false gods, and without remembering or focusing on God's plan, they ultimately fall to sin again. So that, that's where we find Gideon, and uh, we find Gideon and the people in the middle of oppression. In Judges 6, 1 through 10, it says, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord, and for seven years he gave them into the hands of the Midianites, because the power of Midian was so oppressive, the Israelites prepared shelters for themselves in the mountain clefts, caves, and strongholds. Whenever the Israelites planted their crops, 
the Midianites, the Amalekites, and other eastern people invaded the country. They camped on the land and ruined the crops all the way to Gaza and did not spare a living thing for Israel, neither sheep nor cattle nor donkey. They came up with their livestock and their tents like swarms of locusts. It was impossible to count them on their camels. They invaded the land and ravaged it. Midian so impoverished the Israelites that they cried out to the Lord for help. So this is where we find the people, and we continue here in uh, verse 7. When the Israelites cried out to the Lord because of Midian, he sent them a prophet who said, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. I brought you up out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. I rescued you from the hands of the Egyptians, and I delivered you from the hand of all your oppressors. I drove them out before you and gave you their land. I said to you, I am the Lord your God. Do not worship the gods of the Amorites, whose land you live, but... You have not listened to me. So we find the Israelite people in this cycle again. They're in oppression. They forgot what all the good things and amazing things that God, God has done for, him, for them. And here we have a picture of uh, Gideon in the wine press. Now, a little bit earlier, we saw the picture of the, the Spartan warrior, right? And that's, that's how we probably often picture Gideon because of the great thing that he accomplished. But this is how we find Gideon. We find Gideon um, at the bottom of a wine press where he's threshing wheat. Now, threshing wheat in a wine press was not a usual thing. Threshing wheat was something that, that took a lot of space. And actually, I want to actually show you a real picture of uh, a wine press here. So this is uh, what archaeologists dug up. This is a 1,500-year-old wine press, an Isra- Israelite wine press. So just imagine Gideon sitting in there. He's hiding from the Midianite people um, who are oppressing him, um, impressing Israel, um, trying to get his daily tasks done, but he's afraid. So God comes to Gideon, and at, at this point, Gideon's seeing all the things happening, these people taking over their land and taking everything that they had. And Gideon says, or asks God, how can you be with Israel with everything that's going on? And God answers him that he's with him and go with strength because I'm sending you. And Gideon answers to God, and he says, but I'm the runt of the litter, God, and I'm, I'm from the weakest tribe. God says, I will be with you again. And Gideon, being the man he was, asked God to please give him a sign so that he can know that God is with him. So he runs inside and he cooks up an offering really quick. God tells him what to do with it. And the angel, an angel of the Lord touches it with a rod and burns it up. And he realizes that this whole time he's been in God's presence and he's afraid. But God comforts and reassures him again that he's going to do great things through Gideon. So God calls him to do something that that would have been terrifying to him, and that was to take down an idol. This was a a Canaanite idol. It was was, uh, Baal in an Asherah pole. So he's so afraid that he does it at night because he knows that his people are going to reject this. And in the morning, his people demand his life. They figure out that it was Gideon who did this. Luckily, his father steps in and he says, well, hold on, hold on. If Baal's so powerful, let him defend himself. Of course he doesn't. So this is about the time where Gideon, uh, he gets the spirit of God and, and he, uh, he knows his purpose and he starts gathering people, gathering people of Israel to take on 
the army. And as this happens, a massive army crosses the Jordan River. And they camp near the land of where they're at in Israel. And Gideon, again, he has a doubt. And this, this is where God's patience really comes in and his love to give Gideon sign after sign. So Gideon says, God, if, if, um, if you're with me and this is what you really want me to do, I'm going to put a fleece out. And if you'll, you'll make the ground around the fleece dry, but the fleece wet, I'll know you're with me. So, of course, he wakes up the next morning, rings out the fleece. Okay, God, you're with me. But, hey, God, can I ask you just one more time? Can you, can you show me that sign one more time? But can you do it in opposite order? Can you make the, the ground wet and the fleece dry? And instead of God being angry at Gideon or impatient, of course, in his, his uh, beautiful character, he does exactly what Gideon asks to show him a sign, and the fleece is dry, the ground soaking wet. So Gideon knows that God is calling him, and again, he realizes this is the God of his ancestors. This is the God who's done so many great things for Israel. So he gathers 32,000 people, and he's probably feeling pretty good about the army that he has, uh, quite a few people. And this is where we pick up in Judges 7, 2 through 7. So God said to Gideon, you have too large an army with you. I can't turn Midian over to them like this. They will take all the credit saying I did it all myself and forget about me. Make a public announcement. Anyone afraid, anyone who has any qualms at all may leave Mount Gilead now and go home. 22 companies headed for home, 22,000 men, and 10 companies were left behind. So God said to Gideon, there are still too many. Take them down to the stream and I'll make a final cut. When I say this one goes with you, he'll go. When I say this one doesn't go, he won't go. So Gideon took the troops down to the stream. God said to Gideon, everyone who laps with his tongue the way a dog laps, set on one side, and everyone who kneels to drink, drinking with his face to the water, set to the other side. So 300 lapped with their tongues from their cupped hands, and all the rest knelt to drink. God said to Gideon, I'll use these 300 men, who lapped at the stream to save you and give you Midian into your, give Midian into your hands. All the rest may go home. So now remember, Gideon is that same man that we just found a few scenes ago in the wine press doing his daily duty. So he's not a brave man, and God's telling him to send not only the numbers, but then out of them, there's 10,000 brave men, and he wants to send 97% of the brave men home. So he's only left with 300 men. I can imagine that took a lot of uh, faith for Gideon. So here's a, a picture, just in case you didn't get the visual, of guys drinking out of their hand like a dog. So he sent all of them home except for the guys with the hats. It doesn't say that in there, but I like that visual. So uh, Gideon's left here with 300 men. And as you can imagine, he, he's probably having some difficulty sleeping. It's, it's the night before they're going to attack. And I can only imagine being in his, his shoes. I'd be tossing and turning. Sometimes when I have an early flight, I'm, I can't sleep. So if I was about to take on an army, I'm sure I'd be even more terrified. But in God's amazing grace, again, he tells Gideon to get up. And Gideon doesn't even approach God this time in his doubt. But God says, if, if you're still feeling unsure, go down. I want to show you something. Go down to the camp and see what I have to show you. So as he goes down, he takes one of his servants, 
And he sees an army, and in the Bible it says that the numbers were like the grains of sand on a seashore. So just a few. He gets there, and just in time to hear one of, uh, one of uh, the people in the camp talking to his friend. And he, he had a dream. And in that dream, a loaf of barley bread comes down from the hill and smashes a massive tent. It falls over and crashes. And luckily, his friend was able to interpret the dream, and he said, that is Gideon of Israel. That's what the loaf of bread represents, Gideon of Israel um, coming to take over the camp. Now, I'm not sure any of us will be called to lead a tiny army against a, peop- uh, a giant ancient civilization, but I know in my own life I'm often called out um, of my comfort zone, and I'm sure you have been too. We as uh, followers of Jesus proclaim to serve that same God that Gideon is serving, that same God with that power that called the Israelites to do amazing things. God is calling us to be the light in the world, but he's not just asking us to do all the work. In fact, he's calling us to submit to his plan because he wants to do the hard work through us. To submit to God's plan is to admit that there's something better than our own ideas. And in God's plan, we can find true purpose. In God's plan, we can see things that we can't imagine on our own. Yet so often, I want to do things on my own. And that's crazy. I like to uh, think of it as a child who's exhausted. I don't have, I don't have kids yet, but I've seen this played out. Uh, exhausted child wants to fight the one thing that's going to make them feel better, right? They want to fight sleep. They're kicking and screaming. They're making everyone else miserable, including themselves most of all. Their face is red. They have tears, but they just want to fight sleep because they think they're going to miss out on something better until they finally submit to sleep. You can probably picture a child sleeping peacefully in your head and how it looks like there's not a single care in the world and and they're exactly where they're supposed to be, peaceful and resting. And that's what God's plan is for us. We can find that purpose. We can find what we need. We can find the strength and the rest. I believe one of the greatest things, one of the greatest struggles in our generation is busyness. Here's a picture that represents busyness. This is me at work. And there's a, there's a powerful but short story in, in Luke that I, I think um, Jesus speaks so beautifully to, the busyness of our life. There's two sisters at home, and right before people are headed over to have a meal, it says in Luke 10, 38 through 42, as they continued their travels, Jesus entered a village. A woman by the name of Martha welcomed him and made him feel quiet at home. She had a sister, Mary, who sat before the master, hanging on every word he said, but Martha was pulled away by all she had to do in the kitchen. Later, she stepped in, interrupting them. Master, don't you care that my sister has abandoned me in the kitchen? Tell her to lend me a hand. The master said, Martha, dear Martha, you're fussing far too much and getting yourself to work up, worked up over nothing. One thing is only essential, and Mary has chosen it. It's the main course, and it won't be taken from you. If we can sit at God's feet and we find his plan for our lives, it won't be taken from us. It can't be taken from us. And Jesus is telling Mary that she's doing the exact right thing, finding purpose in his presence, and we can find peace in just being with him.
Jesus isn't asking much, but he's asking to spend time with us. And he wants to do all the work, all the, all the great things that we imagine and dream of. In his presence, we can find that purpose and peace and strength to do those things. And maybe you're hard-pressed to hear God's voice today. I want to encourage you, again, that the same God that was giving Gideon courage and sign after sign is the same God that we are serving today. He knows exactly what's best for us, and he knows us with the intimacy that only a loving creator can have. Now, I want to share a couple stories with you about transformation. Sometimes the transformation that we have is internal. Um, If you're a Seattle Mariners fan, maybe you've heard of Mr. Mariner. Anybody heard of Mr. Mariner? Alvin Davis? Awesome. Um, He saw a great deal of success in his life, and um, he had just come off of a World Series championship. I mean, he was at the top of the world. He was going into the Major League Baseball draft, and he was drafted in the fifth round by the Oakland A's. And as he sat down with a representative of the Oakland A's, the agent said, Alvin, you need to sign this contract because it's never going to get any better. It was a lot of money. He had worked for that dream his whole life, but there was something inside of him that told him, no, I don't have to sign this contract. And in that moment, he decided that I'm going to go back and play one more year of college baseball, but I'm going to go back and play it for God. We have things in our life that, that are part of our career, part of our family, and God wants those things too. And Alvin made that decision He played one more year of college baseball, and he loved it. He played it for God. He learned so much. And I'd love to tell you that he was drafted in the first round as the the first pick, but he was drafted in the exact same round by the Seattle Mariners. But I think if you listen to his story, the transformation that was made was internal because that set the stage for who he became. And the fulfillment he found in his career, he was to the point where baseball was a grind, but now he went to his career and he was able to affect people's lives. And here's a picture of Alvin. And I think this spoke, speaks the most to his character. Here's a more recent picture of him. He has a big smile on his face. And as I looked for a picture of him, I was hard pressed to find a picture where he didn't have a smile on his face. This is a man who found his purpose by listening to God's plan in his life. Now I want to share a personal story um, about a time where, where I went through a similar experience. I think this is a time where I really started to understand what it meant to listen to God's plan in my life. Starting in middle school, I had a real specific plan for who I thought the perfect woman for my life was. And as you can imagine, as a middle schooler, it wasn't a very long list, wasn't very deep. But I remember sitting at home thinking, if I, if I had the, the perfect girlfriend, I would have finally made it. All my friends would have been giving me high fives like, oh, you're the man. And unfortunately, that that continued through high school, through college. And I spent a lot of who I was and and, um, a lot of my efforts trying to be that person that I thought that ideal woman wanted. And a lot of times I was in conflict to, uh, it was conflicting to what I knew God wanted in my life. And it took God bringing me back to the Tri-Cities from Southern California It took him closing the door on my dream job to be a madman and work at an agency in L.A., and I started selling cars at a car dealership in the Tri-Cities. I love my job now, but that was not my my plan. Um, To realize that I actually had no idea what was best for me. 
And I begin to I began to see what God was doing in my life. None of this was my plan, and in his grace, he began to guide me, sometimes forcefully. Going going back to my analogy, I was just like that child. I knew that God was calling things, calling me to change things in my life, but I didn't want sleep. I knew what I needed. I finally grew tired of swimming upstream of God's plan, and I went for a drive. And on that drive, I prayed, and I said, God, whatever your will is for my life, I want you to have that. And I still believe that God had somebody in mind for my life. And I said, God, if you find somebody for me the day before I die, I'm okay with that now. God, if you find somebody for me when I'm 70, I'm okay with that. And there was something, it wasn't external, but it was something that changed inside of me. And it wasn't just about finding the person for my life, but it was really a transformation of understanding what it meant to hear God's plan and knowing that God's plan was better than my own. Luckily, God, God uh, gave me a beautiful wife uh, much sooner than the day before I died, so I'm thankful for that. And, and I, I know that it was part of his plan because she encourages me to be a better man. She encourages me to spend time at God's feet and challenges me to do those things that God wants in my life. Now let's get back to Gideon. So... Sometimes God is calling us to do some scary things in our life, and, and that's, that's where we find Gideon in the story. He has 300 men, and they're broken up into three groups of 100, and they're surrounding this camp again that numbers bigger than the grains of sand on a seashore. So in Judges 7 is where we pick up 19 through 22. Gideon and his 100 men got to the edge of the camp, and at the beginning of the middle of the watch, just after the sentries had posted, they blew their trumpets at the same time, smashing the jars they carried. All three companies blew trumpets and broke jars. They held torches in their left hands and trumpets in their right hands, ready to blow and shouted, a sword for God and for Gideon. They were stationed all around the camp, and each man at his post. The whole Midianite camp jumped to its feet. They yelled and fled. When the 300 blew their trumpets, God aimed each Midianite's sword against his companion all over the camp. And Israel found victory over oppression. God took Gideon's plan, turned it upside down. God took the most unlikely candidate, a coward man, trembling in a wine press, in the smallest, weakest tribe, the runt of his own litter. And he did great things because Gideon listened. Now, he didn't have his own, he had doubts, but he, he listened to God. And through God, he helped the Israelites to conquer an army. Now, here we are with that same God, again, coming back to that, that same God calling to us. What's God calling of you? Maybe you're a bit like Martha right now and, and you need some rest. You just need to sit at his feet so you can hear his voice. Without time to listen, we can't hear what his good plan is for our lives. I wanted to encourage you to take steps towards that this week, to following God's plan. Maybe he's calling you to change your approach. Maybe it's something internal. Maybe it's a grudge you're holding against somebody. Maybe it's an internal transformation God's telling you to give to him. Or maybe it's something big. And, and you need some help. And that's the great thing about 
this community. It's the great thing about communities that follow Jesus is we're here together. We're here in this together. And I think we're called to do some great things in this community that we live in. And we have an excellent opportunity to, uh, to impact our community. As we go out to our neighborhoods, as we go out to our places of work, let's go out, let's have voices like trumpets that bring the good news of Jesus. Let's go out with torches that bring love and light into dark places. We have a lot of dark places out there. And let's let our actions of service crash loud and make a sound and an impact like the jars of clay that the Israelites broke around the camp. If we can do those things, trusting in God's plan, I know something beautiful will happen. And I know that those things are already happening. Hearing some of your stories, it's amazing. But I want to encourage you to continue to take those steps today. And I know how hard it can be. So I want to I want to offer this up. If you, if you would like some strength for something that you're going to be taking on this week, we'll have people up here. I'll be up here, and uh, we'd love to pray with you. Thank you guys so much for being here this week. We hope you have a blessed week, an awesome Sunday. God bless.